Good morning. Good to see you today. So a lot of you asking about how we're doing. Honestly, folks, the, the only thing I had happen is I lost taste and smell. That was it. That, that, was, my, that was my course with this thing. Uh, Kim was a little worse. She gets like an annual chest cold sinus infection. And so that's what we thought was going on with her until, until she couldn't smell either. And then, and then we figured out what was happening. But we've, we've done our, our time in isolation, and we didn't even get to see you. So it's been, it's been good to be able to see you again and, and to be able to be seen. I said to a few people this morning, the part that was hardest for me is it was, it was so, there was such a lack of severity for me that, that I kept wanting to leave the house and go do things. And your mother's like, you can't, you can't. I'm like, I know I can't, but I want to. But I was a good boy, and I, I stayed home and, and did what I was supposed to do. So, so thanks for your prayers, and we're going to keep praying for each other. A lot of people going through a lot of stuff right now, and uh, just a, a tough season. So how you been? Good, good. Uh, I'm feeling a little <clears throat> cooped up, yeah. because, you know, between school and... Uh, like everything coming back to a shutdown uh, yesterday, I got so anxious that I decided why not go up and start rearranging the attic. And then rearranging the attic turned into, hey, there's the Christmas stuff. Why don't I pull all the Christmas stuff down? And then I put up my lights outside. So I'm one of those hillbillies who does it before Thanksgiving because it's a nice day. And uh, yeah, so I've broken all the Pat family traditions, everything you, you guys have taught me to not do anything. You could call it breaking a tradition or establishing your own. That sounds so much better. So <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> it didn't make me feel it's better. It's your mother's role. Yeah, yeah. But either way, so Christmas stuff is up and ready, and uh, I'm already in the spirit of Christmas. Let's awesome. Go. And you had your Thanksgiving with the kids the other day. How that yeah, sound? yeah, it sounded fun. I think that's part of why I was already in Christmas mode because last Sunday we had our uh, meal with the high schoolers and that was awesome. Uh, usually, when I buy food for these high schoolers, you wouldn't believe it. Like you'd think ten pizzas would cover thirty, forty kids. Oh no, we only need like three pizzas because they eat like birds. So I figured, you know, I had everybody bring something, but I was, I was like, make it a small dish because it's probably not going to get finished. And then Brandon Davis smoked the turkey. And I was the last person to get food out of everybody. And there was literally one piece of turkey left. Wow. So that is a testament to how good of a cook Brandon is. Uh, so if you need a smoked turkey for this Thursday, make sure to contact Brandon. His no, no. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Really good time hanging out. Wednesday night, we had a lot of fun too. Uh, a lot of new faces on Wednesday night, which awesome. was a lot of fun. Uh, but we are taking this week off. So Revive is off tonight. Refuge is off this Wednesday. As I know, people are going places and hopefully seeing family. Um, I know that it's kind of a crazy year, yeah. But, um, but yeah, we're taking this week off and we'll be back at it next Sunday. Good deal. Good deal. Thanks again for the way you've been giving. Again, you have multiple ways to do that by mail, online, black box at the back, and uh, we appreciate your continued faithfulness there. And it is Thanksgiving week and um, God's given us a, a unique and a beautiful reason to be thankful this year. Um, on Thursday night at about 10.15, I got a call from, from Lee Swank, and he told me that his mom, Janet Swank, uh, was, was standing in the presence of Jesus. And I, for a lot of you, you don't know Janet. Janet and Roger were a part of our church since, since the year I was born. So they, they were around for a long, long time and, and were real uh, pivotal figures in the life of the church when we were over on Bethel Drive. There are so many people that in, in their story of being part of this church, they'd say, you know, I came the first time uh, to check things out, but I came back the second and third time because of this lady named Janet 
who, who took the time to say hi, remember my name, remember details about my life. And, um, you know, just, it's, it's amazing. She's a, she's a phenomenal woman. I, I, don't, I don't know what, what more to say. I mean, she had a, a tremendous impact on our family. They, you know, the Swanks knew, for example, that um, our grandparents <laughs> didn't live in town, and so they always acted like grandparents toward you guys yeah. and would... Uh, Christmas gifts and different things along the way. Yeah. Roger and Janet would even come to your ball games. I was going to say, Roger, Roger would take me out to practice throwing. Janet, uh, <clears throat> one of the things I loved about Janet, the, during that time of our church, there were a lot of adults who saw kids my age, you know, six, seven years old as gremlins who didn't deserve <laughs> to be talked to. Um, and Janet wasn't. She, yeah. she took the time to, you know, get down on a knee and, and talk to me. Uh, meet me where I was at um, when when there weren't a lot of people who were doing that. So incredible it means sweetness. A lot. So yeah. in the final years of her life, uh, she did she did develop dementia, and so it was it was hard for a lot of people who had known Janet for a long time for her to say, "I'm sorry, who you who are you?" And she wouldn't recognize who they were, and and she had also grown blind too. In fact. When we were over at the school, the blindness really started to set in, and, and yet she still wanted that greeting role. And I asked her one time, people would be coming toward her, and she'd greet them by name. I'm like, you can't see. How are you doing that? And she said, well, I can, I can see the form of their body, and I can see the way they walk. I can tell by their gait who it is. So just kept that, that gift going. And, um, and you know, the, the thought, I, I, there's something in me that when... When a person from this life dies, and I know that they know Jesus, that when, when I know, when I, when I hear about their death, and especially when it's like right after they've died, I, I try to imagine that first hour in heaven. What, what is it like to, you know, to walk into, to walk into heaven? And there, there, there's Jesus. Uh, you, you've, you've heard about Jesus. You've known the stories of Jesus. You've even come to love Jesus. But now you're seeing him face to face. And, and you know, what's it like to be standing in worship? And, and you turn and look and you go, oh, Moses, how are you today? <laughs> you know, I mean, it just, it must, it must be crazy. And, yeah. and for her now to be fully sighted and to have clarity of memory, um, it's just, it's really beautiful. So before we get into to the teaching, I want to I stop and pray today and say thanks. God in heaven, um, in your goodness, you have given us relationships through the years, family relationships uh, on a human level, but also family relationships in the body of Christ. You've been, you've been incredibly good to us, to give us, to give us people who love us and that we can love. And, and today, our hearts are filled with gratitude for, for Janet Swank. Lord, I'm I'm grateful that today she gets to experience her first Lord's Day in the presence of Jesus. And I, I just can imagine she's, she is singing her heart out and loving every minute of being with you. This, is, this has truly been the goal of her life, to one day be with Jesus. And I'm thankful that, uh, that we got to share life with her, her here on this earth as we walk into this week of Thanksgiving, we realize it's, it is different than almost any we've ever experienced. And, and, and for a lot of us, uh, some of us, uh, our families are coming into town and we're excited. And for others, we're going through the, um, just the hard time of knowing that we're not going to be with all the people that we would normally be with. And so I, I, pr I pray today for an extra measure of your, of your comfort and your support for hearts that are that are feeling grief this week, because God, it is it is a week that is that is uh, difficult. Even though it is a week that we are 
coming to you in thanks. You tell us to, re- to rejoice, to give thanks in all circumstances. All includes the bad and the good. And so, and so this week we, we are we're thankful that we get the chance to express thanks to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks a lot, Brian. <clears throat> so, again, thanks for your patience last week, watching a video. A little different than normal, but I, I didn't want to wait. I mean, we, we've, been, we've been going through Joshua, and we were, finally, we were finally to Jericho. I'm like, I am not putting Jericho on hold. So I'm glad we got to go ahead with that teaching. Now the, the walls of Jericho have fallen, and, and that, has been, that land has been conquered, and we're about to move into chapters 7 and 8 of the book of Joshua. And I, I just wanted to highlight something about the book. So this, is a, <clears throat> this book is a historical book. It's a narrative book written by a historian who reports things in a historical way. And so there are times that when you're reading a story or a chapter, you'll get something like this. You'll get almost like the transcript of a conversation between God and Joshua. You'll get a, you'll get a description of this is what's going to happen. And then the next part of this chapter, and this is what happened. And then this is what happens. At times you're reading and you're like, I feel like I already read this. Because it's, it's almost exactly what we're told was going to happen. So you have that kind of reporting going on of the story. But then one of the things that the writer does that I, that I appreciate, he'll provide these little, you might call them color commentary verses or, or things that, that show the relevance of the story to the community in that moment, either, either moment that it was happening or the moment that it's, that it's being recorded. So you'll have something like uh, the, the telling, we're told that, that the 12 stones were, were placed there as a, as a memorial up out of, the, out of the Jordan River, replaced there as a memorial to remind us. And then there will just be this little line, and they are there till this day. So that idea, we get that idea, we get that little piece of color commentary. We have some of that in these passages. You came to the end of chapter 6, the walls of Jericho fall, and the very last verse says that Joshua, Joshua's stature was raised in the eyes of the people. In many ways, it's kind of, it's not really relevant to the story, but it's something that helps us to better understand who Joshua is and how God is working in the community at that time. We have the same type of verse in chapter 7, verse 1. We, we open the chapter, it says, Israel violated the instruction about the things set apart for the Lord. So when they went into Jericho, they were to take nothing for themselves. It was banned. They were not to take anything. They were to take things, but they were to be taken for the worship of God only. Okay, so, so it says that Israel violated that. There was a man named Achan who stole some of the things dedicated to God. So the Lord became angry with the Israelites. And then it gives his heritage. Achan was a son of Camry, a descendant of Zimri, a son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. So tribe of Judah, what does that mean? He's from the tribe of the priests. So a man from among the tribe of the priests, who's supposed to be taking things for the Lord his God, instead decided to take a few things for himself. We get, this, we get this verse, boom, and, and it's kind of like, it's almost like when you're watching TV and they, and they show the preview of what's going to happen this episode. You get an idea of, this is what's coming in this chapter, and then the chapter starts to unfold. So chapter 7, verse 2, says Joshua went, he sent out some spies to go check out the next town they're going to attack. Little town, town named Ai. So small, it's only got two letters in its name. Little town. We're going to go attack this town. He sends in spies, and they go ahead and check out the town. They come back and they say, this place is so small, we don't even have to send the whole army. Send two, 3,000 soldiers, we'll be fine. 
Now, there are a couple of things that happen in this part of the passage or that don't happen that, that the reader, as I read it, I find ominous. Number one, there's no mention of a conversation with God. We don't have Joshua coming to God and saying, okay, Jericho fell. I mean, we did what you said. We walked around the walls. Is that the way it's going to work with every town? Is that what you're going to do? What's, what's your next plan? What, what's going to happen? How is this going to unfold? We don't have Joshua approaching God, nor do we have God saying to Joshua, here's what happens next. Now, I don't want to read too much into that, okay? Arguments from silence are not the strongest arguments. Just because it's not written there doesn't mean it didn't happen. Maybe he did talk to God. It's, it does not tell us but I find that ominous. Here's the other thing I find ominous. That spies go in and say, we don't need the whole army to take this place. A couple thousand guys can handle it. We'll be okay. You hear in this not only an air of confidence, but a little bit of self-sufficiency. We got this, God. We can handle this. And God wants us to recognize that whether it is the small things or the big things, we are always dependent on God. You're dependent on God for literally the next breath you breathe. You, you can't make that happen. God makes that happen. The big and little things in our life, we're dependent on God for all of them. I was listening to the, a book of Revelation this week. When, when it comes to the part that, that, that the Spirit is talking to the, um, to the church of Laodicea, and it says to the church of Laodicea that, that the thing that, that God had against them was their self-sufficiency. They thought they could handle it on their own. They could do it on their own. Kind of an American church, right? We can handle it. God, okay, go take care of places that need your help. We've got this. So that, that self-sufficient spirit, as well as not talking to God, makes you wonder where things are going. They take 3,000 warriors. They set out, and guess what? It says they are soundly defeated. They go into attack. Instead, Ai turns on them. They start to chase them. 36 of their soldiers are killed as they're retreating down the slope. And, and the last part, don't miss it, the Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. So on top of everything else, now they are terrified. Joshua and the elders gather before the ark of the Lord. They tear their clothes. They put dust on themselves. And they just lay there before the ark. And eventually Joshua starts to speak. And he prays. He's like, God, why did you bring us in here just to kill us? We would, we would have been happy to live on the other side of the Jordan River. We didn't have to come over here. Why, why did this happen? And he says, in the process, the enemy and the land knows that we're vulnerable. But here's the thing, God. It's, it's brought disgrace and dishonor to your name. Why in the world did you let this happen? I love God's response to Joshua. It's so, I don't know, it's so matter-of-fact. Get up. Why are you lying on your face like that? What's the deal? Come on, get up. Let's go. And then he says these words. Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I have commanded must be set apart just for me. So he says, Israel has sinned. And then he says, this is how we're going to find out who sinned. He said, I want you to bring each tribe before me. And as the tribes come before me, I will select one of the tribes. And then from the tribes, you're to bring the clans before me, and I will select one of the clans. And then from the clans, I will select one of the families. And from the families, I will select one of the people. And you will know this is the person that has violated what I asked. 
And so they go through this process and it reveals that it's Achan, just like we saw in verse 1 of the chapter. And, and Joshua confronts Achan, and I love this. Achan doesn't, he doesn't lie. He doesn't, he doesn't reason it away. He just says, yeah, I did it. I sinned. He says, I, I stole two garments. I stole some silver. I stole some gold. It's buried under my tent. You can find it there. And they send some people, and they find it, and they bring it back. And God says, well, here's the thing. He's got to die for what he did. He's got to die for what he did. And so, and so he is executed. And then we move to the next chapter. And in chapter 8, we come, to, we come again to this town of Ai, and God lays out what the battle plan is going to be. And I love this battle plan. I, I'm not kidding. I still remember this battle plan from second grade Sunday school at First Baptist North Tonawanda, complete with flannel graph. It, it, it's an amazing battle plan. He, he takes the army, he splits it, and, and he says part of the army is to hold back, hide, we're going we're gonna to have an ambush, so hide. And he takes the other part of the army, and they go to attack, and then they act like they're retreating. And it draws the soldiers out of the town. And then the ones that were hiding back come in, and they take the town. Now the soldiers look back. They see their town is going up in smoke, and the town of Ai is utterly destroyed. So from this, I think God teaches us from this, especially the story of Achan, God teaches us some lessons that are really relevant to where we live today. And here's the first one. God is serious about sin. God's way more serious about sin than we are. God is serious about sin. It's not just a whoops. It's not just a, oh, I didn't know what I was doing. It's not just a, a youthful indiscretion. It's not just a, well, God, that, that's the way you wired me. What am I supposed to do? God is serious about sin. He's so serious about it that when this man steals two garments, some silver, and some gold, he's executed. And I know what happened to some of you as you heard that story. Maybe you didn't do it visibly, but inside you winced. Inside you went, really? That seems harsh. That, 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 that feels like overkill. It's not like he killed somebody. It's not, like, it's not like it was that heinous. He just took some things, God. What's the big deal? And you know what? God wants us to wince. God wants us to wince. God wants us in that moment to go, ooh. And you know why he wants us to? Because he wants us to get to know who he is and not who we think he is. We have a version of God that we like that is not necessarily who God is. We, we, we kind of like more of a grandpa God, right? Grandpa God who puts us on our knee and bounces us a little bit and gives us candy and, and makes us feel good. We, we, we want a God who just kind of overlooks things and says, you know, uh, it's no big deal. It'll all be okay. And we struggle. We struggle with the God like the God that we read about in the book of Joshua. But what we need to understand is that when we are not willing to accept the God of Joshua, all we're doing is creating an idol for ourselves, a God of our own image, someone we're choosing to worship, but it is not the God of heaven. Why does God take sin so seriously? What's the big deal? Why, why in the world does it matter to him? Because sin is all about relationship. It's all about relationship. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? It broke relationship with God. And every time we choose to sin, it breaks relationship with God. And God created us 
for the purpose of living in relationship with him. So when we choose something that separates us in relationship from him, we're actually not living into the purpose for which we were created. God says, I, I, it's not just that he, he wrote a list of 10 things and said, don't you break my rules, don't, don't you do that. He's saying, I care about this relationship. And those sins are a violation of the relationship. Psalm 66, 18. The psalmist writes, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. I love the way this translation words that. The way I learned it was, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I'm not sure what regarding iniquity is, but I know what cherishing sin is. Cherishing sin is when I love something more than I love God. It's when I decide, when we treat it like my precious, right? This is, this is my thing, and I'm not going to give it up. This is mine. It's mine. And I'm not, nothing is going to come between me and this thing. Not even God. Does it make sense why God takes sin seriously? Because we're willing to embrace something other than him, apart from him, and it breaks our relationship. In the New Testament, Paul talks about the fact that when we habitually, repeatedly sin, when we choose to live the wrong way, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We actually, we actually cause a, a, a break in our relationship with the Spirit, a blocking in our relationship with the Spirit. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, he says, don't quench the Spirit of God. That's kind of the opposite. We, we grieve the Spirit when we intentionally sin. We quench the Spirit when we don't do what we're supposed to do. They have the sins of commission, the things we do, and sins of omission, things we're supposed to do that we say, I'm just not going to do it. In either case, what this is doing over time, it's wearing on our relationship with God. Unfortunately for some of us, we, we take an approach to God and to sin that we think is very New Testament, but what it is is very incorrect. I, I've actually, I have sat with people, talked with people, who were, who were, they were about to intentionally sin. They were about to intentionally do the wrong thing. And this is the reasoning they gave. God says in 1 John 1, 9, if I confess my sin, God is faithful and just to forgive my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So I'm going to do this and then I'm going to ask for God's forgiveness. And he has no choice, he has to forgive me, it's written in his book. Do you see the way in which that's a violation of relationship? I mean, do you see the way if you did the same thing to another human being, I'm going to do something against you that's heinous and wrong, but then I'm going to ask for your forgiveness and you have to forgive me. It's a violation of relationship. God cares about the relationship. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I love that. We, we don't like that concept of the fear of the Lord, but it's an important concept. The fear of the Lord is a healthy respect for God. So I came over here the other day to do some work, and as I pulled in, I realized once again, one of our area truckers decided to use our place as a turnaround. And they came on in, they turned around, and on the way out, they ran over kind of that corner of the island as they're going out. They literally somehow managed to wedge one of our rocks between their tires. The rock is gone. They took the rock with them. There's a nice big drag mark going all the way down our, our freshly, uh, freshly surfaced lot. There, there we go. It's gone. And I, you know, every time this happens, I'm like, get on the ring doorbell, try to find out who it is, all that stuff. And I was kind of I was a little irritated. At about the same time, 
a, a Shanahan police officer had pulled someone over and they were over here in this, in this uh, subdivision right over here. I'm like, great, there's, there's a cop. So I, I walk over, I cross Route 6, and then I realize what I'm doing is what I always do in the presence of a police officer. I'm approaching very tentatively. I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm approaching very tentatively and I'm making sure I'm seen and I'm kind of like, excuse me, why do I do that? Because I have a healthy respect for people in authority. God wants us to have a healthy respect for him. That's the, that's the fear of the Lord. A healthy respect that says, this matters to you and so it matters to me. But look at the next part. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. What is what Solomon's saying there? When we get to know God, we get to know what God wants and what God desires. And so when we want to ignore a story like Achan... What we're doing, in fact, is cutting ourselves off from fully understanding who God is and what his desires are. The fact is, God takes sin seriously. In fact, he takes it far more seriously than we do. Second lesson, we never sin in isolation. We live in this myth that the thing that I do wrong only affects me. It only impacts me. It doesn't impact anybody else. This is, this is just me and my deal. It doesn't impact anyone else. It's been many years ago now that I was sitting across the table from a relative who was about to explode, explode his uh, marriage and leave his wife and kids. And in the conversation, he said to me, I've talked to a lot of people, and they tell me that divorce does not impact kids. It'll be okay. And, and I just looked at him. I said, wow, it, it, it must be convenient to believe a delusion in order to cover what you want to do. Really? You honestly believe that? You honestly believe that? There's no way that that's true, and you know it's not true. Now, the opposite is also true. Divorce doesn't irreparably destroy a person, nor does anything. We still choose how we will live, right? We can't blame our circumstances for the way we turn out. But having said that, to think that I can sin and it impacts nobody is to ignore what the Word of God has to say. You see, when we read that passage, what does it say? Get up, why are you lying on your face? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. We read the story, it's like, no, Achan sinned and broke the covenant. What did Israel do? Did Israel collude with him? Hey, you grab the garments. Go ahead, do it for us. We'll, we'll divide it up later. Israel had done nothing, but Israel was affected by the sin of one person. When we do what is wrong, it impacts other people. When I choose to do what is wrong, it impacts my wife, it impacts my children, it impacts my church, it impacts everyone. We've seen this in living color in recent days in some of our bigger churches, whether it's Barrington, Rolling Meadows, Lynchburg, where you have, where you have Christian leaders who lived in such a way that they thought, I can do whatever I want and it will impact nobody. And in the process, it's left, it's left a scar on their church and a scar on people, both who love God as well as people who were looking to God and just wonder why in the world they'd ever follow God based on that kind of behavior. The things we do have an impact on others. We never sin in isolation. If you're, if you're just trying to decide, you know, should I do this, should I not do this, well, it won't impact anybody, believe me. You're choosing to believe a lie of Satan. Our wrongdoing does impact others. The final lesson we learn from him is that silence and sin don't mix, or God calls us to confront sin. God calls us as a community 
to help each other walk a godly walk. God calls us as a community to encourage each other toward love and good deeds. And that means sometimes we come alongside someone in a loving way and say, here's what God is calling us to, and I want to help you to live in the right way. Now, for some of you hear this. In fact, I use that word confront today quite intentionally just so that it would make you tense. Because um, I'm not talking about being confrontational and combative, but I want you to think of perhaps you've come from a church background. You came from a church where, you, where maybe you had an individual or a few individuals that, that were like, they, they, were, they were self-assigned righteousness police in your church. They'd go around telling everybody what they were doing wrong. You shouldn't do that. Why are you doing that? That's wrong. You shouldn't do that. You, what's wrong with you? Boom, boom, boom. They, you know, they're going to they're gonna call you out for the thing you're doing. That is not the spirit with which God wants us to help each other at all. In fact, sadly, what happens a lot of times, those, those self-assigned righteousness police are covering their own sin. They're covering something they're doing wrong themselves, and they're saying, here's your problem, here's your problem, here's your problem, in deflection of, here's my problem. But I really do believe that God calls us, as a church body, to come alongside others and, and to be willing to, to, in great love, say, I love you too much. I love you too much to not be willing to walk alongside with you and help you through this patch of your life. It's a hard, it's, it's a hard thing to say out loud, but I'll tell you what. As a little kid, I, I, I wish that my church family had loved my family enough that somebody would have lovingly come alongside my dad and said, you know what, Joe, I love you. And the way you treat your wife in public is not good. You show, you show her dishonor, you show her dis, uh, uh, contempt. And I want to do everything I can to help you to learn how to love your wife. Now, i got to be honest, my dad might have punched him in the face. I don't know. But when we love each other, we help each other through hard times. We help each other to grow. And God calls us in this life to help each other to grow. And beyond that, I, I look at where we are today, even, even just as a culture. We're going to have a responsibility as a church to help those around us and our next generation to keep their heads straight in regard to what the Word of God has to teach that it, it's so easy to buy into the lies of the culture. Literally right now, we live in a time that what is right is being declared as wrong, and what is wrong is being declared as right. And we need people who will have, who will have the loving courage to say, this is what the Bible says, and I want to help you to live what the Word of God has to say. And I love the way this whole thing wraps up. You come down to the end of chapter 8, and the, the subtitle above these three paragraphs is The Lord's Covenant Renewed. Joshua does something that Moses told Joshua, Mo, that, I'm sorry, that God told Moses to do that Moses is now, that, that law is being passed on to Joshua. When they got into the land, they were to build an altar. And that altar was to not be marked whatsoever. So he builds this altar and then on the altar, this is what Joshua does. You see it right at the end of the first paragraph. It says, Joshua copied onto the stones of the altar the instructions Moses had given them. 
So here, the people are gathered, and there's, there's Joshua chiseling away the Ten Commandments in these stones, and they're watching this take place. And then it says that, that the people were taken and divided into two groups, and half of them were put at the base of Mount Ebal, and the other at the base of Mount Gerizim. And, and, they, and they stand there before the Ark of the Covenant, and then it says in verse 34, Joshua then read to them all the blessings and curses Moses had written in the book of instruction, or in Deuteronomy. Every word of every command that Moses had ever given was read to the entire assembly of Israel, including the women and the children and foreigners who lived among them. Why is this beautiful? God takes sin seriously, absolutely seriously. Our sin impacts other people. It absolutely does. God wants us to have conversations with each other and help us to walk in righteousness, but we can't know what is right and wrong if we don't spend time here figuring out what is right and wrong. We've got to get to know God through his book. And so what, is, what does Joshua do? He spends time once again reiterating, this is what pleases God. Psalm 119.11, familiar verse, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You can't know if you're sinning against God or not sinning against God if you're not spending time in his word discovering who he is and what he has to say. And so when we come to a story like Achan, we don't write it off because, because it doesn't match our sensibilities. We look and say, God, what are you trying to form in me? How are you trying to develop me as a Christ follower in a way that is different from where I am right now? So this morning for communion, we talk about this heavy topic. We talk about sin. And it's possible in this moment that, that you realize in your own life there's a sin you've been cherishing. There's something you've been, you've been holding on to. Maybe, maybe for the first time you're, you're sitting there today and going, wow, this thing I thought I was doing in isolation, it's impacting other people. Or maybe there's a place that you should be coming alongside someone and you haven't been doing it yet. In communion, we're going to take the time to have a conversation with God, to just be quiet before Him, to talk to God. Maybe it's to ask for His forgiveness. Maybe it's to ask for His, his strength to overcome an area of, of wrongdoing in our lives right now. And as we do that, we're going to be listening to a song that, that speaks of God's love, His reckless love. And, and I, love, I love the idea behind this, behind, this, behind this song where it talks about the passage that says he's willing to leave the 99 to come and find us. He loves you that much. That, that's, that's part of the beauty of this whole story. He doesn't say you're in sin, you're stuck there. He says you're in sin and I want to bring you back home. I want to bring you back home. So as the music is playing, take time for a conversation with God this morning.
We're grateful to you, God, for your mercy, your grace, and your forgiveness. And thank you that you reveal to us areas in our life where, where our relationship with you is, is strained or torn. I pray that those would serve as wake-up calls to us, uh, that, that the shepherd is searching for the one lost sheep, and that we'd come home, we'd come home. We come back to your loving arms, that we, would, that we would love our relationship with you more than the sin that we're cherishing. In Jesus' name, amen. Our team is going to come now and, and lead us in a song that, um, that's much needed in this season. So uh, we're excited about uh, being able to sing together. And as they come up, would you come up a second, Brian? So this is, this, is, this is probably the most important thing that you'll know today. Uh, go ahead and stand near Ryan for a minute. So, Ryan and Brian are now officially sporting the Southfield uniform, uh, Coles 1995. So, make sure you go out and get yours today. Let's stand and sing.
Yesterday afternoon, I decided to make some beef barley soup, and it starts with sautéing some onions and garlic and some peppers, and got those all going, got the broth in there, got the beef in there, got it all kind of doing its thing, and for about an hour, it's going, and, and Kim comes into the room, and she went, man, that smells so good, and then she went, oh, it smells good. I can smell. And, and she was like, she hugged me. And it was, the, it was the best moment. And then I went, yeah, I can smell too. This is amazing. It smells so good. I, I sometimes think God gives us physical experiences to give us a reminder of spiritual realities. When you finally confess that sin and that relationship with God is restored, there's this sense of, oh, that smells so good. I'm back. I'm back. God wants that for you today. He wants you back. Just finally stop cherishing it, man. Give it up. Give it up. Love him more. Enjoy your week. We'll see you.